Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, April 11th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A. Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December 2018, we have featured more than 110 poets from 10 countries and 5 continents, and we hope to continue to do so with your support. And you can do that by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via PayPal or your preferred credit cards. We have also launched the PAM Poetry Project with District 4 Poetry, with whom we hold alternate weekly poetry workshops and open mics. With us today is Paul Pablo Rouge Leper, with whom I will be discussing his poem, Brother, and my poem, My World. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of April 12th. On Monday, April 12th, from 8.15 p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting its weekly open mic, and you can find out more information at labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound sign events. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound sign events. From 7 to 8.15 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their What is the Grass? Mark Doty and Honor Moore in conversation. You can find out more information by going to cityofasylum.org. Again, that's cityofasylum.org. From 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground We Play Clean open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting their The Loop writing workshop with Carol Ska. You can find out more information at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. Again, that's Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. On Tuesday, April 13th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 3.30 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Museum of the African Diaspora will be hosting their family art workshop, Monochromatic Collage and Blackout Poetry Part 1 of 2. You can find out more information at moadsf.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's moadsf.org forward slash calendar. 
from 7.30 to 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Kara's Books and More and The Rumpus will be hosting Calissa Ray and Friends Celebrate Ghosts in a Black Girl's Throat book launch with panelists Ayana Elberson, Gaia Rajan, Jin Hyun Yoon, Caitlin Ray Taylor, Mahogany L. Brown, Maya Marshall, and Daesan Ahanu. You can find out more information at karisbooksandmore.com forward slash event. Again, that's karisbooksandmore.com forward slash event. Karis is spelled C-H-A-R-I-S. From 8 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Alexa Lash and Kiana Major will be hosting their creatively undistanced open mic. You can find out more information at Major Muse on Instagram. Again, that's at Major Muse on Instagram. From 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting Poets Playground. We play dirty open mic via Instagram Live at Poets underscore Playground underscore. Again, that's Poets underscore Playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Poetry Center San Jose and Works San Jose Art and Performance Center will be hosting their well-read open mic. You can find out more information at pcsj.org. Again, that's at pcsj.org. On Wednesday, April 14th from 6 p.m. Amsterdam time, Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their Inspiration Factory Writing Workshop by Janice. You can find out more information at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops.html. Again, that's wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops.html. From 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the New Jersey Performance Arts Center will be hosting their City Versus Team Poetry Workshops with Atelier's Renee Augustin and Evan Cutts. For those between 13 and 17, you can find out more information at njpac.org forward slash tickets hyphen events. Again, that's njpac.org forward slash tickets hyphen events dot com. From 5 to 6.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Asian American Justice and Innovation Lab will be hosting the 7th of their 8th session of A Poetic Envisioning of Our Collective Future with Carol Scott. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash A-A-J-I-L Again, that's facebook.com forward slash A-A-J-I-L Org. From 7.15 Central Daylight Time, Luya Poetry will be hosting their Luya Number no. 30 Slumber Party Open Mic. You can find out more information at Luya Poetry on Instagram or Twitter. Again, that's at Luya Poetry on Instagram or Twitter. From 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their poetry workshop with Beth Ruscio. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org. 
forward slash free underscore workshops.html. Again, that's beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops.html. On Thursday, April 15th, from 9 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their open mic. You can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. Again, that's parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the New Jersey Performance Arts Center will be hosting their open mic series, Jersey Fresh at Home, featuring Ovation Quartet, Dennison and Donahue, Heavenly Grace, Akima Keems, Chops the Savior, and Asia E. Marsh. You can find out more information at njpac.org forward slash tickets hyphen events. Again, that's njpac.org forward slash tickets hyphen events. From 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Poetry Center San Jose and the Willow Glen Library will be hosting their third Thursday's open mic hosted by poet Lisa Medley. You can find out more information at sjpl.bibliocommons.com forward slash events. Again, that's sjpl.bibliocommons.com forward slash events. From 7.30 to 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, District 4 Poetry will be hosting their monthly poetry open mic. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash district 4 poetry. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash district 4 poetry. 4 is the number 4. On Friday, April 16th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information and register by messaging the host, Andrina Leanne, at survivor.andrina.leanne on Instagram. That's at survivor.andrina.leanne on Instagram. Andrina is spelled A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A. Leanne is spelled L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 7 p.m. West African time, Graciano and Warham will be hosting his Corona versus Open Mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Warham. That's spelled G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the New Jersey Performance Arts Center will be hosting their City Versus Jazz and Poetry virtual performance curated by City Versus Artistic Director Mark Rose and poets Evan Cutts and Atorias Dequana. This time featuring Jordan Pete, Jarrett Walzer, and Jebediah Patton. You can find out more information at njpack.org forward slash tickets hyphen events. Again, that's njpack.org forward slash tickets hyphen events. From 7.20 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Hudson Valley Writers Center 
will be hosting their open mic nights hosted by Bill Bushel. You can find out more information at writercenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. From 6 to 10 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting their Jasmines and Poetry Festival featuring Los Angeles Poet Laureate Lynn Thompson and a Beat Poetry Workshop facilitated by Richard Modiano. You can find out more information at lapoetsociety.org forward slash events. Again, that's at lapoetsociety.org forward slash events. On Saturday, April 17th, from 12 to 1 p.m. Central Daylight Time, The Porch will be hosting the second of their three Manifest Your Poetic Voice for Tennessee Teens. You can find out more information at porchtn.org forward slash programs forward slash youth. Again, that's porchtn.org forward slash programs forward slash youth. From 10 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Sevilla Writers House will be hosting their Short Poems Workshop with Jessica Abugadas. You can find out more information at sevillawritershouse.com forward slash events. Again, that's sevillawritershouse.com forward slash events. From 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Pam Poetry Project will be hosting our theme poetry writing workshop, this time with myself. You can find out more information at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. Again, that's at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. From 2 to 4 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Defunct Magazine will be hosting their No Surprises, a workshop with Joshua Nguyen and Monica Davison. You can find out more information and register at defunctmag.com. Again, that's defunctmag.com. Defunct is spelled D-E-F-U-N-K-T. From 12 to 3 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Allie Jones and the Mills Graduate Writers will be hosting their Raise Your Voice Community Writing Workshop, this time facilitated by Pintavis Harshaw. You can find out more information by visiting alleyjones.com forward slash writing. Again, that's alleyjones.com forward slash writing. Allie is A-L-I-E. From 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Museum of the African Diaspora, UC Berkeley School of Public Health and Diversity, Inclusion, Community, and Equity Group will be hosting their Arts for Action Amplify Community Voices for Healing, Justice, and Health Equity, an action-oriented open mic and community discussion. You can find out more information at moadsf.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's moadsf.org forward slash calendar. On Sunday, April 18th from 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Keep the Mic On will be hosting their weekly open mic You can find out more information at keepthemicon.com. Again, that's at keepthemicon.com. And now let us welcome our Poet Guest of the Week, Paul Pablo Rouge Leopard. 
Hi, Paul. Thank you very much for coming on to Poeta Muses. Pretty good, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. You brought with you today your poem, Brother. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, I think the best way of summing it up is that there are three uh, stages in my life. There's me as a teenage, uh, young man to, to teenager, when I wrote a lot of poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's the middle bit, the dark ages, <laughs> I sometimes call it. Well, I was very much into politics and was a journalist and didn't write much poetry. Mm. And then there's the current age, the present and future, where I'm back writing and also doing a lot of acting as well. Uh, theatre work, uh, just finished work on a film in collaboration with a theatre here called The Young Vic. Mm -hmm. Recently, I've just sort of been curating my poetry, really, mm -hmm. going back to my old hard drives and everything, looking at stuff I wrote years ago, you know, from the different periods of my life. Mm. That's why, currently, I, when I write new stuff, I'm also trying to incorporate some of the older stuff as well into my open mics, mm. and really eager to combine all of that and get a book together quite soon. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. You look and sound pretty young, so I'm, I'm very surprised at how much you've already packed into your life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've definitely had a, a, I definitely have a story to write, yeah. Mm. Some good, bad, but as uh, Patti Smith would say, my sin's my own, they belong to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. In terms of poetry, can you tell us a little about how you started to write poetry? Well, I started to write poetry really after experiencing and enjoying a lot of different kinds of music. Mm. When, I, when I first started to write poetry, it was very much in sort of the mindset of producing songs. Mm. Uh, so I, I grew up very much influenced by people like uh, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, David Bowie, Lou Reed. Mm. That, those kinds of things. Yeah. And uh, then I discovered I couldn't sing, <laughs> so I decided to, to become a poet. And I wrote <laughs> stuff in, in that sort of vein, yeah. Mm. Okay, okay. Do, do you remember your first poem and what it was about? Right, uh, the first poem I ever wrote was called... <laughs> Let me see if I can... Oh yeah, it was called I Like Myself, yeah. Great. It was very much a little, uh, like a a draft of a song really and it goes I like myself I like myself no I don't wish I was anybody else most of the time mm. wow and how so old? Was, I actually did a recording of that ages ago just you know at home with a keyboard and a cheap little microphone mm. That's... sort of doing my best new read impersonation <laughs> <laughs> mm. little, bit, little bit Daniel Johnston little bit Daniel Johnston mm. very very <laughs> Very this very interesting, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and how old were you when you wrote that? Gosh, uh, I think I was about eight or nine okay. when I first when I wrote the first one. Yeah. Okay. And uh, well, I'm now I'm now 30, 31 now, soon to be thirty-two. Okay. So yeah, from from that, I just I just wrote and I did a lot of open mics at 
at pubs mm. and bars and little things like that. Wow. You know, just sort of getting a feel for how my voice worked mm. and how I presented myself and performed. Mm-hmm. And that period, for a long time, the early the early times, was when I wrote most of my stuff. But since getting, coming back to poetry and uh, some mental health problems I had as a result of being into politics, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does do a number on you. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, but this, this current period has been, has been my most prolific. Mm-hmm. You know, after all of that, getting back into writing, mm. I write at least a poem a week. Right. You know, not all are very good, but at least I write them at least. That's wonderful. And, you know, keep moving forward. Right, right. Yeah, I'm really glad that you're you're back in poetry, of course. I mean, this is a poetry podcast. So. And I'm glad I met you and heard the poem that you're about to leave for us. So if you don't mind reading it now, we can get into talking about it. Yeah, sure. This poem is called Brother. We were born in a leaper colony. The same corrupt blood fueled our social ecology. Talk and cheese. Use love with ease. We shared our smokes, got all the same jokes. Put out the brain fires with gasoline. Both on the lanzapine now, but I take therapy. Growing up with Dylan and MJ in the tall tape tower, we added rap and indie rock and dreamt of having that same musical power. Stacked snores in a bunk bed, answering each other's sleep talk, we're in each other's head. You and me, we understand how it feels to go mad on road and shake the devil's red left hand. When I shared my coming out story, you stood by me in pride and glory, never shamed me to my friends. Head held high, walking in the end. Do you remember that starry night in South Bank? We both pulled with the ease of a shark in a fish tank. Then parted ways. Didn't see each other again for days. History, mystery, two boys a race. A reborn, torn in the other's place. I used to measure my glory by your story. Used to play you as you played me. My credits on your bootleg CV. I wonder these days, when you close your eyes, what is it you see? A mug, a thug, or a cup of breakfast tea? I don't mind anymore. I'll be Saul, you can be Biggie. Choices, great our voices. Paths collide and fall apart. Make the wrong ones and say you do it for your art. Liverpool calling, or dad's tears are falling. Your debt knocks on my mother's front door, and you wonder why I'm feeling sore. Was it all bipolar from the start? WhatsApp family questions. Will you ever learn your lessons? Spanish hospital blues. Is it all a game? Win, draw, or lose? We came from the same soil. Now we're like water and oil. I've landscaped my own destiny. My brother, my other. Choose the right one, and we will see. Thank you. And that's me. <laughs> Thank you very much for this poem. When did you write this poem? I wrote this poem three years ago. Okay. I see now, having gotten to know you just a little bit, that you, know, you have a lot of uh, musical references in here. MJ, I, I'm, I'm assuming, is Michael Jackson. Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay. I heard of Biggie, but who's Saul? Saul is Saul Williams, who is a, he's a slam poet. He started out writing and rapping and emceeing. Then he moved into acting, 
and uh, now he's a well, he's a he's really a Renaissance man. Really, mm. he does poetry, he does songs, you know, rapping and and singing. He produces, he does, you know, artwork as well, and he's really been a very big influence on me mm. in the way I write and in the way I perform as well. A really important and transformative event for me was seeing him do a set in London. He's an American artist. He came over to London. Mm. He just has a real presence about him, something that reminds me of how, I think, yeah, how Allen Ginsberg described Bob Dylan as being at one with his breath. Like every, every, everything that comes out of his mouth when he's performing, certainly for me anyway, is really targeted. Even, even breaths that he takes in between phrases, he's one with his voice. I can't think of any other way to describe it but that. Mm. Did he have a relationship with Biggie since you put him and Biggie in one line? <laughs> as far as I know, they never knew each other. Okay. Uh, I just imagine them together as sort of two extremes. Mm. The, the poet as a, as a rapper, as a gangster rapper, I guess, and mm. the, the poet as a, a person who thinks above the material and above the earthly and sort of reaches the higher, higher things mm. Mm. and reveals deeper things as well. Right, right. I'm guessing from the little that I know of you that you, you see yourself in Saul and perhaps your brother in Biggie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And because Saul, of course, became Paul in the, in the biblical mm-hmm. story. Right. So, yeah, I definitely see myself as Saul mm. in this arrangement. <laughs> right, right. I think you tell us a lot about your brother with hints here and there, starting from the beginning. I mean, you have this play on word of your last name, the leper colony. I, I think uh-huh. it's a play on that, yeah. right? And then you talk about the chalk and cheese. Yeah, uh, that that's something... My my mum actually always said about the two of us, we like talking cheese. You know, we both have the same first letter, I guess, but we're opposites. Mm. So even though, you know, it goes after sort of the introduction of your biological link, you already talk about the, the opposite aspect of you and your brother, yet you talk about some of the interests that you're, you share in common. And in the first stanza you already reference different medical treatments and I, i'm not familiar with those two and i wonder if you want to tell us about them right uh olanzapine is a antipsychotic. Mm. you know just a bit of background on that reason i left journalism and political life is i had a breakdown you know i had a transient psychotic instant as it was described to me by doctors so, uh, you know, I spent some time in hospital mm. uh, sort of reforming myself, as mm. it were, mm. you know, because part of the delusions I had at that time, which led me to go into hospital, part of the delusions were that I thought I was my brother. Okay. So, Alantapine is medication that I've been taking the longest mm-hmm. you know, to deal with uh, disorder thought. And uh, serotonin is an antidepressant. Mm. And uh, the way it's worked out, you know, we, we both take olanzapine to deal with our difficulties, put out the brain fires, mm. as I put it. Mm. And I now take that additional medication. So what I was trying to do with those lines was show, you know, the similarities in where we started from, but 
also the differences as well. Right, right. The diff different use of medication. Right, right. And it's really interesting how this poem progresses because the first stanza is almost like a prelude and the rest of the poem follows that prelude in that you set out in the first stanza. So I wonder, firstly, what triggered you to write this poem three years ago? What triggered me, I guess, was uh, the change in the relationship with my brother. Mm -hmm. You know, he went to Spain and uh, had to be committed to a hospital there, and I went to get him out, basically. And we hadn't seen each other for quite some time. Mm. So it was what triggered it, I guess, is me observing the differences in where we are now as opposed to the history we have right. and how we've both grown as people. Mm -hmm. Some of the content of the poem had been in my mind for quite some time. Right. I had some of the lines that, you know, were just, I, I don't know about your process, but I get lines that come to me and I sort of say, hmm, that's, that line has you know, some weight, some weight to it. Mm -hmm. And then days or even weeks or months even sometimes later, I find a home for those, for those lines, mm. the context of which I think about them. So I, I decided to sit down and just write something about our relationship. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm slightly different. I think uh, I also get lines here and there, and when I get the lines, I just write a poem from there. Mm -hmm. uh, I do get orphan lines sometimes, um, and then orphan I put them. Line, that's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I put them in my phone, and sometimes if I get enough of them, I will try to put them in one poem. And it's interesting. It doesn't often work, but then I don't have that many experiences with them. So as you with your brother, we start out. Uh, very similarly in terms of getting lines. Going back to your poem, can you tell us a little bit about the the relationship between you and your brother? Because it seemed like he was very integral, not only in your own formation as a human being, but also in how comfortable you feel as the person you are. Yeah, the thing about uh, me and my brother, at least, at least from my point of view, I can't, I can only speculate and, you know, what he's actually told me mm. about his point of view. Right. But we've always sort of shared things and in some sense, maybe been like two sides of the same coin, two people in one body. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. You know, it's that kind of relationship where as we were growing up, you know, we'd share clothes, we'd, uh, we'd share Christmas and birthday presents back and forth, it got to a, a stage where we kind of acted acted like each other at times, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, uh, I mean, something, and this is, you know, this is very integral to how I was thinking at the time, mm -hmm. that uh, it was our role to be either, there were, that there were, two, there were two sons, basically. This was, this was part of how I was thinking. There was the good son and the bad son, you know, like the, and here we go back to the Bible, you know, the better worth has a weight for me. The prodigal son and the good son. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that story. Yeah. Yeah. So my 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 feeling was that uh, one of us had to be good and one of us had to be bad. Mm. And we would sort of exchange positions, as it were. So, mm. um, I mean, I talk in the poem about 
you played me as I played you, he would put, you know, jobs and events from my life on his CV. Mm. When he finished school and was going on to college and university, he would pick subjects that I I had chosen. So a very very close, the way I see it now is kind of predatory. It's difficult to put it into words what I'm trying to say. I guess I'm trying to say that it was unhealthy to an extent, you know, Mm. to be so close to someone and have so many common life experiences with someone that you feel that it's interchangeable. Mm. So just from my point of view, when I had my mental breakdown, I thought I was shifting into his role, Mm. being the bad son, and he would become the good son. Mm. And that way of thinking is something that I struggled with for quite a long period of time. Mm. Uh, part of my, my mental health problems. Mm. That's the vicious cycle that I feel I've broken from now mm. and developed from. Yeah. Okay. Does something happen to him that triggered your breakdown? The, the situation was uh, he had gone to America prior to my breakdown and he got himself into a number of, number of difficulties there involving family and legal problems as well. Mm. It was just a bad a bad time for him, very bad. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of being torn between the journalism and the political life mm. and trying to support my parents, mm. trying to be that loaded phrase, the good son. Mm-hmm. So when I had my breakdown, he, he came back to England and uh, our, our roles kind of shifted for a while. Mm. Whereas he was having to support my parents I think, and uh, I was a burden to my parents. Mm. It sounds like, from what you described previously, that he's a little younger than you, is that right? That's right, yeah, he's uh, six years younger than me. Okay. But he's taller than me. (laughs) (laughs) No, he could could often pass for the older one, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's strange, isn't it, how people perceive age through physical traits? Then the Spanish hospital blues that you referenced later on towards the end of the poem, did he have a breakdown, I guess, after you had yours? My brother has had a number of hospital stays. And, uh, yeah, there was him in America while I was having my breakdown. Then there was him getting into difficulties in Spain and being committed to a hospital there. Okay. Yeah, it's always difficult, isn't it, when family member, especially close family member, get into situations where you feel like you have not only an obligation to help them, but sometimes an inability to help them, just by feeling like you are obligated. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just looking back on the poem, and one of the early lines is, use love with ease. And that's something that, you know, families, maybe not intentionally, but actually use love as a sort of lever to get you to do things for them. Mm. Yeah. It's not always malicious. Sometimes it is, but it's not always malicious. But it comes across that way, and it just puts strains on you. Right, right. Sometimes it's not even stated, right? It's not even hinted at. It just, because they're family. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. (laughs) Um, But then there's the other end of the spectrum where... It is, uh, as you stated in the poem, use love as a, a lever, as a tool, as um, 
almost a blackmailing to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know get you to get another member of the family to take responsibility for the person who is not willing to take that responsibility. Yeah. And something I've tried to learn myself, you know, in this current stage of my life is to take responsibility for my own actions. Mm-hmm. You know, not to use the crutch of family to bail you out or whatever, you know? Mm. And the, the relationship I'm in now with my partner has really been integral to that, you know, taking ownership of myself and responsibility for myself and, you know, really being a more positive and healthy person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And it takes a long time to learn those lessons, uh, especially if we are born into a situation where there is an unhealthy relationship. You know, since you were six, basically, you had this brother who interacted with you very closely, yes, sometimes in not very healthy, as you said, ways. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah, I don't want to be too negative about my family because I wouldn't be who I was today if it wasn't for my family. But for sure, whether or not it existed in reality, I had those negative thoughts and feelings. I I think that that's some of the things that we don't talk about enough, actually, to to me, because um, I've also had some very negative relationship experiences with my own family. And... When you try to talk about it with people, sometimes it's frowned upon, especially if the person that you're talking about has this very suave personality or somebody who looks like they're very innocent. Nobody who don't know them well has any idea of what goes on beyond those very innocent looking. Again, going back to the idea of judging people based on their appearances. Yeah. And people, I think, well, it, it varies from person to person, but I think a lot of people know that. Like, they, they know it and present themselves in a certain way, knowing that people are going to make those assumptions about them mm-hmm. and consequently use that to get on in life. Right, right, yeah. I always thought of human, the human species as one where we can emulate basically any other animal mm-hmm. and being in the literary arts you notice all of these the ways that humans are being compared depending on their behavior like snakes you know or other animals depending on how they are behaving even if the animals themselves do not actually behave in that you know snakes for instance they're not underhanded they are just them <laughs> Exactly. It's the same, I think, with pigs. Pigs get a really bad rap. They're actually very nice, very friendly, very social animals. Mm-hmm. If you want to insult someone, you call them a pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, especially if you want to insult people in terms of their physical, um, their uh, food intake or you know their physical appearance yeah, and. Yeah. Pigs are associated with gluttony in the way that, you know, they, they are kind of messy eaters at the same time. And they are, in comparison, birds eat a lot more proportionally than pigs. So gluttony actually should be associated with birds in actuality. So 
yeah, it's it's very interesting how we have anthropomized the behaviors of other species and to their detriment <laughs> without <laughs> examining our own prejudices of how, yeah. you know, like our assumptions. It sounds like what you said that perhaps your brother fits into the mold of somebody who is, again, very suave and has a personality that is very winning at first brush. And then when they get to know him further than some of the more manipulative aspects, facets come out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was I was always the quiet one, and he was the sociable one when we were growing up. Hmm. I find it interesting again going back to the Saul and Biggie comparison. I don't again. I yeah. do not know Biggie well enough other than the name recognition and knowing how his life ended and. I wonder when you compare your brother to Biggie if there is a sense of dread of how he might end up. Yeah, if I'm honest, it is a concern of mine. You know, because the way you choose to go through life, it has its uh, consequences. Mm -hmm. And if um, and it, it does, it does scare me the thought that if you are negative and you surround yourself with negative people something negative could happen to you, you know? Right, right. And it sounds like perhaps, I mean, obviously he has had, you know, hospital stays because of his behavior and such, but before it reached him on a much more personal level, it sounds like it's reached, well, obviously both yourself, but also your mom and, and perhaps other relatives in your family, because when you talked about your debt knocks on my mother's front door and Liverpool calling while dad's tears are falling. So all of these, again, having someone who leverages people's feelings for them to kind of issue its responsibility has consequences on everybody else in their immediate circle. No one lives, I think, divorced from other people, you know. What is that phrase I'm saying? Well, no, no man or woman is an island. Mm. And uh, actions, as a result of those things, it does have effects on other people. And those can be quite hurtful and you know, painful effects. And, you know, this, this has been the case. Yeah. Yeah. Has the rest of your family decided to distance themselves in the way that you have? My parents have the attitude of, once again, the story of the prodigal son. They'll always support him in the sense of, you know, inviting him over and you know, being friendly and, and positive around him. This is the case. Uh, they consider him to be, because of his problems and because of, well, because of the way way he lives, they consider him to be important and needing of love and affection, and I totally understand that, mm. you know, even if I don't agree with it, mm. perhaps he does need it more than I do, because I've got a chosen family, I have people around me, uh, my partner, my partner's father and mother and relatives and all of that, who I can turn to and who can support me and care for me and nurture me, mm -hmm. and... Uh, he doesn't have that. Right. I hope that as he grows older, he'll start 
having a better life, you know, a more positive circle of people around him. Right. You know, I hope I hope good things will come his way. Right, right, yeah. It's I mean, it's also very important that he start taking responsibility for his behavior and for how he has ended up being alone, at least emotionally speaking. Yeah, yeah. It does come down to, I think, responsibility and, uh, and consequence and consciousness and uh, making a conscious choice to put the past to one side and learn from it and, uh, you know, do things differently. You know, what you do defines, uh, to an extent, uh, I believe, how you live. And, you know, mm. I hope that he's able to learn and grow as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we all hope that, especially with close family members that we want, in one sense, want to be a part of our lives, in the other sense, we also want to shield ourselves, uh, if nothing else, emotionally from the pain that they can cause us. And some, some of that pain is because of that closeness. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's very interesting about how parents may treat siblings differently. Uh, obviously, you and your brother are two different people. So no matter what, people are going to treat you differently. Uh, at the same time, in a parental sense... I always wonder about how people end up the way that they do, uh, depending on how they're raised. And again, children do not only grow up with their parents, they also grow up uh, having interactions and very varying different interactions with other parts of society. And, and this is why I responded with my poem um, that's called My World. Uh, and so I'm going to read it, and, and we're going to talk about that. Okay. My world. I've been told since birth that my opinion matters. To unabashedly go after my heart's desire. Be tenacious, don't take no for an answer. I may never give birth, but what I produce is the utmost because the world would judge me by the work I created. So I've never been bogged down by the little things like preparing dinner. Mom will take care of that unless I want to become a chef. Mom and Dad doted. it. They nurtured to show they care. I've always had help with homework from a loving older sister. That's why my grades and artworks featured prominently on the fridge. Dad called me over often to show some exciting project he's been tinkering. Mom pulled my sister to help with the dishes. Our house is proudly spotless, as if we had elves. My sister always late for breakfast, perpetually rubbing her eyes as if she was tired. We had great discussions at the family dining table. I always speak up even if my opinion was not solicited. My sister stayed quiet, observing her half-eaten plate fork and knife working overtime, clanging to add to our conversation. Mom would chime in should someone join us for dinner, answering for my sister before she had time to gather thoughts for the questions she never suspected would aim toward her direction. I was the popular jock in high school, 
She joined the Geek Squad and Poetry Club, targets for our daily taunts. Girls surrounded us. I had to pick up the litter. Sometimes they weren't happy with our advances, but we just tried harder. If we ever asked what they wanted, we didn't wait for an answer. Just like my sister, I thought, girls don't know any better. It's for us to set their direction in life. We lead and they will follow. We achieve fame. They will, of course, support. We make a mess and they will sweep up. We make all the noise because they'd rather stay quiet. Families, <laughs> they do, they do, they do leave impressions, don't they? <laughs> they do, they do. Also, just like your poem, you see that there are personality differences. The question is, yeah, how much of that is nature? How much is of that is nurture? This is true. Yes, I mean, you say in your first line that you, I've been told since birth that my opinions matter. That really. You know, what we're told from early on does form our personalities, even if it is in reaction to what we're told. Mm. You know, choosing to choosing to do the opposite rather than what we were, you know, encouraged to. Right, right. Definitely. Because, yeah, we make all the noise because they'd rather stay quiet. Yeah. Don't take no for an answer, be tenacious, and... Uh, these lessons really stand out and you know be strong be visible and and proud in a sense you know even as you describe different ways of interacting uh with the other people at school mm. you both seem to be putting yourselves out there rather than be uh introverted if that mm. makes sense mm. yeah yeah you say join the geek Geek Squad. How do you, how do you define geek? Because I, I always get quite confused about what a geek is supposed to be. <laughs> right, right. I, I think uh, in the states it's more is synonymous with nerd. Uh, so somebody who's into studying, who's knowledgeable, who's a bookworm. Uh, I am using uh, quite a lot of stereotypes uh, in this poem. Yeah, and, definitely. Yeah. And and to be honest, this is a persona poem. This is not a autobiographical poem. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, that that would really have been a question for me because uh, you sort of play around with uh, the past, the present, and the future perspectives mm-hmm. uh, and tenses in this poem. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the poet is describing the past in. And looking back on it, using that that perspective, but also drawing lessons and perspectives from the future. You know, something that I describe as being Dylan-esque, I guess. You know, the past, present, and the future all present mm. in the same space. <laughs> I'm getting a bit uh, astrophysical here. But, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no worries. I, I think that that is no, something that time, we are time is capable. just a dimension. Yeah. Right, right, and that is part of what we are capable of doing. Right, not just uh, the human species, but this this idea of recalling memories in some ways in vivid form in 
in a sense that it almost feels like we're living, we're revisiting the past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thoughts for the questions she would never, she never suspected. What are the questions? This is a longer thought. Is the thoughts for the questions she never suspected would aim toward her direction. So it's not that she didn't suspect certain questions, it's that she didn't suspect that she would actually get asked any questions. Ah, right. And I I don't know if it's clear, but the I character in this poem is male. Yeah, the use of the stereotype of Jock does suggest a masculine, but I thought it could easily be female as well, you know, because as soon as you take, as soon as you enter that kind of sphere, you get stereotypes applied to you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think, especially for a female poet reading this poem, especially in these days where we are recognizing gender nonconformity, which is a good thing. At the same mm-hmm. time, when you're writing a persona poem, <laughs> when you're performing a persona poem, what you're trying to say doesn't always come across because of the acceptance of not gender nonconformity. Mm-hmm. And and I think yeah, that, I think it's very empowering though. Yeah. Persona. Yeah. This I, persona style of writing, I think, is very empowering. Yeah, I I, th- I think it allows people to relate better because there is an expectation from the listeners that you are t- relating a personal experience. Yes, yes, there is. Yeah, that is the expectation, particularly. But then I think, it, who was it that said this? Oh, yes, uh, Rambo said, I is another. Mm-hmm. When, you set, when you set I down on the page, it, it no, it's no longer you. It's, it's the character of the poem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is true whether or not we're doing a persona poem or actually writing from our experience, because in the process of writing, we are also observing. And so in some ways, we do pull back from the living experience or the emotional uh, intensity of the living experience and and, uh, document, become an observer of our own lives by writing things down. And the audience, the reader, is a part of that relationship as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Especially in performance poetry. And this is more of a performance piece, I think. Yes. So when you perform a persona poem, would you employ different voices? I mean, like if you were to perform this piece to an audience, would you sort of act it? I'm trying to, yeah. In some ways, I mean, as I have done now, yes. it depends on which kind of poem I'm doing. Like, there is a poem that I wrote more recently where I'm requiring to sing something. It's a well-known song, and it's both a male and a female part in the singing section, which is a prelude to the poem itself, where I do adapt two different voices you know, a lower register for the male and the higher register for the female because I also wanted to set up certain expectations and gender dynamics. Um, and uh-huh. that, that's why I do it. With this one, it's always him who's speaking. So uh-huh. I don't feel the need to go into 
character and part partly that's the subversiveness of it is that I want people to listen intently and take clues from the poem rather than from me acting it and also to again break that gender expectation because part of this poem is about gender expectations how parents raise female and male children differently and what that means for society later on as they grow up to be you know more you know fully contributing members of society what does that mean in their interactions with yeah. the rest of society yeah and uh, i mean just hearing you you know talk about it it i mean things like in the first time being told be tenacious and not take no for an answer uh, that installs a very masculine sort of take no prisoners be a man's man kind of way of thinking that causes a lot of the problems in the world i think Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you're the big man you're right you know what's best for everyone else go out and leave right right particularly it makes me think of um the whole coronavirus situation and how female leaders of countries seem to be handling the, the pandemic a lot better than male leaders i mean mm. in england we've got boris johnson trying to, you know, please everyone, not doing what the science says, and also really, I think, bullying teachers and school staff over keeping schools open, despite the fact that, you know, the virus is spreading quite rapidly in secondary and primary schools. Mm. But not, not wanting, not wanting the whole, the whole because, because I'm, I'm in charge and I'm, I'm the big man, I don't back down from a fight, so you've got to do what we say. Know, even when it's really evident that they're wrong. Right, right. And, you know, this is fighting head on in the sense of, oh, if we just brave this, we just keep going. What was the, the, the famous poster? Uh, keep calm and carry on as we were. Yeah. You know, that, <laughs> that's what we need to do, which is ironic because he had the coronavirus and he almost died from it and uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that that i think it's very sad that he hasn't really learned his lesson i mean it, it seemed he did change his behavior a little bit but i guess from what you're saying it's not enough he's still doing that rah rah if we just continue as if nothing was going on we will beat this thing whereas he's risking a lot of people's lives yeah, yeah, this this is the problem, you know, and it, it's a it's a problem not just with patriarchy and masculinity, but also I think my my view anyway with the whole capitalist system, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the way that the the needs of private ownership and business are put before the needs of um, you know health and society. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it's also kind of hinted at in the poem because this character says you know it doesn't matter that i cannot have children but the world will value whatever i produce Uh, which uh is true for a lot of entrepreneurs thinking of you know like steve jobs for instance you know his reputation is of a very uh uncooperative eccentric well except 
eccentric in itself. It's not a bad thing, but he has he seemed very narcissistic, and he was always about his own creation. He didn't really was not able to relate to other people, and despite that, you know, he succeeded partly because people love his creation so much. And I'm also drawing a parallel in that women can have give birth to human children, but men also give birth, in a sense, to their creations through products, uh, through, you know, innovation, things like that. So it's, it's both good and bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always, I always think of the Taoist perception of the universe, you know, yin, yin and yang, you know, these two forces that have, you know, both positive and negative, you know, aspects of their benefits mm. that exist together while, you know, struggling with each other. You know, the whole dialectical relationship of forces. Yeah. I I also wonder but I don't I don't know it well enough. Just the in and yang symbol, it just seems like it's so conveniently separate, right? It's so conveniently well delineated, whereas in real life, it is not so clearly defined. Yes, this is absolutely true. I don't think we live in a world of black and white. We live in shades of gray and sepia and rainbows, and you know, we we live in a we live in a very. It's never it's never as simple as the symbol tries to make it out to be. And I think that goes with all, you know, all, all symbols or logos and things, or or belief systems even. You know, it's mm-hmm. never that, never that straightforward. Right. That is my whole understanding and you know stance against anything dogmatic or any you know list of commandments or you know code of ethics. It always should be informed by changing sands and shifting sands of, of real objective life because you can't have such a narrow conception of the world because the world is not narrow at all mm, yeah yeah that speaks to the the trans the sort of how do you feel about the word transgressive in certain contexts is wonderful um in terms of breaking down mental silos I think it's good to have that. At the same time, when we're talking about physical interaction, uh, especially interpersonal physical interactions, as I sort of hinted at uh, towards the end of the, well, throughout, really, the poem, it is very troubling, isn't it, if people's boundaries are not respected. And, you know, this poem was written in the, height of the Me Too movement. I actually wrote it during the time, I don't know if the news reached England, of the Kavanaugh hearings of his incredibly irresponsible and likely illegal behavior that was being supported in many ways by, you know, one of the parties. I mean, since then, the other party was has been supporting somebody, the winning candidates, again, illegal and inappropriate and absolutely unethical behavior as well. So it, it works on both sides, but this particular poem I wrote right around the Kavanaugh hearings. I see. Yeah, I mean, just listening to you, 
talk about it, I'm sort of discovering all these other layers to what you've written, you know, and I think it really speaks to strength of the writing and it's subtle, the way it subtly hints at all these different things, you know, it's, uh, yeah, that's very, it's very, very illuminating. Yeah, because, you know, like his, you know, maybe his biology lends him to be more receptive to certain nurturing from his parents. Um, you know, these uh-huh. things are told to him. They completely, in, in some ways, erase his sister, erase her personhood, yeah. erase yeah. her ability to not nurture her ability to speak up in the household pay much more attention to him, let him be transgressive using that word when like at the dinner table, for instance, when he just spoke up whether or not anybody's soliciting his opinion, he still spoke up because they've told him since birth that everything he does is somehow the utmost important. And, you know, his artwork is all on the fridge and all of these things. Uh, And so in their behavior, parental behavior, they're reinforcing all these ideas he has. So then when he's in high school, later on in the poem, we see him in high school or when he hits puberty, when he's become uh, sexually active, what happens? How does he interact with the his friends and how do they interact? They all interact with the girls he was girls. interested yeah. in. Right. Yeah. Like how, how does that play out? And so in my mind, it's not necessarily Kavanaugh. This is not necessarily talking about him, but it is certainly a, a type, that sort of type. It's like, what do we teach our children? How do we teach our children differently that make them conform to certain gender stereotypes? And then because they conform to that gender stereotype, we look at those gender stereotypes and we say, oh, okay, these genders will behave in these ways. Whereas maybe this is not uh-huh. actually how the genders would behave biologically if they were nurtured in different ways. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And uh, yeah, it just, it makes me think, uh, there was a story that popped up on my feed uh, the other day about a parent uh, who was upset, so she she made a video saying, oh, my child is my child is so gay, I'm so happy that my child is so gay. And obviously people, you know, quite predictably were against it. And she said that she was making a point because we, you've got parents who, you know, talk about their, their male children as like, oh, they're going to be a lady killer, they're going to be a heartbreaker, they're going to be this, they're going to be that. Yeah. And that installs a mentality you know, mm-hmm. that has negative consequences and bears negative fruits. So she was really making the point that, you know, how ridiculous it is to be, well, basically ascribing sexual identity to, to children. Right, right. Exactly. Because, again, a, a lot of our identity comes from, like, our early upbringing. They tend to in, get ingrained. Like prejudice, for instance, I read that apparently it gets ingrained around three years old. And that's very early. Uh-huh. Um, so, and you wonder uh-huh. at what point does gender identity get ingrained? And how independent do the children have to be, biologically speaking, to be able to fight against that? And how 
that shapes the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, as society and science hopefully move forward, we're learning all the time, aren't we? You mm-hmm. know, the pull, the pull between nature and nurture, and what that actually means. Mm-hmm. And just and like it, you know, and the fact, the fact that at three years old, you know, people can, you know, that that can be installed. It's quite worrying. We need better parenting and you know, better support. And more nurturing sport. Yeah, yeah, and more deliberate, but not to the point where it is, you know, there there is a fine line between deliberate nurturing to make to to make our society a better place, and then also, you know, human subject testing that's incredibly unethical. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, so like. It's uh, a fine line. Yeah. <laughs> Very, very fine line because there's a very uh, a set of very famous triplets and twins that were separated at birth as part of an experiment. Uh, I don't know if you know about it. And one of the triplets, the very famous triplets, had committed suicide because of we we don't know what it is be, because of you know like because but we do know that. Uh, they learned that they were separated on purpose as part of a social uh, scientific experiment, somebody's idea of a scientific experiment, which is, looking yeah, back, yeah. very incredibly unethical. Yeah, no, it makes me think of uh, that case, I think this was back in early 19th century, of the scientists who decided to adopt a child and just stick it in a box. Okay. You know, where its only interaction with the world was you know, hot and cold water, and a lever for for food, and he had a theory that oh, this child is going to be socially maladjusted. Well, obviously, you know <laughs> that doesn't need to be scientifically investigated. You know <laughs> that that's just cruelty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think in in some ways we've come a long way uh, through these incredibly cruel uh, experimentations that we come to a better understanding that you know we shouldn't do these things at the same time i feel like a large part of us is still exactly at that moment where we're willing to do those things in the name of whatever rationalization that we want to use mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sometimes it, i think it's too much time on their hands <laughs> you know i think i think it's all about the framing how society uh, condones certain things and yeah, it yeah. comes that it, it's a feedback loop, right? And, and you know, again, going back to the poem, at the end of the poem, you see that sense of that rationalization again. It's like, oh, I do this not just because I want to do this, but because women prefer to stay quiet. It's on the women, you know. It's uh-huh. you know uh-huh. if they weren't quiet then I wouldn't do this sort of sort of rationalization that's very uh-huh. distorted view of the world or very egocentric view of the world and again that's was something that was nurtured as you read through this kind of a narrative poem. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today about both of our poems and the way that they relate to each other in seeing the differentiation in sibling behavior. Uh. And 
even though your piece does not have necessarily the parental piece, and mine was more heavily on the parental aspect, the nurturing aspect, I think you know, both poems where it shares com- in common is the idea of the consequences, what happens, how siblings... Yeah, no, they, they form an interesting dialogue together, don't they? Yeah, yeah. How do siblings interact with each other? Or at least, you know, obviously both of ours are just a t- a, an example of the possibilities of how things can turn out. And there are, as you said before, the universe is very wide-ranging. There's a lot of things that we do not cannot imagine that the universe can accommodate. This is true, yeah. Before I end our, our interview, I would love for you to tell us uh, if you have any particular favorite virtual open mics that you would recommend to people and also how people might uh, follow you online. Yes, uh, my, my open mic of choice currently is Poetry LGBT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can be found on allpoetry.com under the name Pablo Rouge. Mm. Uh, most of my recent poems are up there and uh, a lot of my older stuff as well. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, thank you for this experience. That was very, very interesting, very illuminating as well. Thank you. Great. As always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.